Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. But uh, let's start in Romans chapter 7. Let's start in verse 4. It says, Wherefore, my brethren... Ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And verse 5 says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Verse 6 says, Now we're delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. It says, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law... Sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. And Paul concludes then, verse 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good, He says, was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. And he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Notice what Paul says about his will to do good. Now understand, Paul, you know, contrary to what what some people say about this passage, This passage is all written in the present tense. Paul is not describing his attitude before he got saved. He's not describing, um, you know, anything other than what his present state was. Okay? He is describing, Paul as a a saved man, is describing a, a thing that takes place with every believer and a struggle that takes place. What, what he says, verse 15, he says, uh, again, Romans 7, verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. He says, There's, there are things that I do that I, in, in my mind, I don't, I don't allow those things. I don't think those things are good. I don't think I ought to do those things. But he says, I, I do them. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would the, the good, there are good things that I, in my will, would like to do. He says, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Now, if you're honest, you can relate to that, right? You relate to that, that there are good things you would like to do that you don't do. And there are things that you hate that you do, nonetheless. He, he says, verse 16, if, uh, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Um, he, he doesn't, he's saying here, he's not trying to make an excuse 
for these things that he that he does. He says, if I do the things that I that I would not, that I don't will to do, he says, I, he still consents that the law is good, the law is right. Uh, and that's a, a, a thing, again, that the old nature often tries to do is to excuse sin and to say sin is justified or, or whatever. Paul's not doing that at all in this passage. He's saying the law is good. It's, it's me, it's me that's not doing the things. You know, I, I would do them, I willed to do them, but I, I don't do them. And he says, if then I do that which I would not, he says, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now one of the accusations sometimes that's made against a passage like this is to say that, that uh, you know, Paul is somehow trying to separate his sin from himself as if, as if uh He's not responsible for it. And again, you don't find that in the passage. That's a, that's a, you know, that, that would be a misrepresentation of what he's saying here. He's not denying responsibility for it, but what he's doing is he's, he's demonstrating that this will to do good is not carried out by this sin nature. And throughout this passage, when he talks about sin dwelling in him, he's talking about that sin nature. Okay? And... And he says, it's, it's sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now notice what he says about the will here. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. You see what he said? He says, to will is present with me. I can will all kinds of things. I can will to, to live a perfectly holy life. I can will to do all these things. But it's the performing of it that's the problem. It's not the, it's not the will that's the problem. The will, you can will to do good. Um, you know, now when you will to do evil, then the will is a problem. But you can will to do good. But he says, he says how to perform that which is good, I find not. He says, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He repeats for emphasis that point. And he says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing, into cap, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now this is Paul, again, as a saved man, as somebody who has been declared righteous by the, by the grace of God, who has believed on Christ for his eternal life, and yet, when he looks at himself, this is what he sees. And he says, I, I have this delight after the law in the inward man, but I just can't, I can't find out how to perform it. I can't figure out how to perform it. And he talks about this law of sin that's in his members. Now, again, as a saved person, all right, he talks about this law of sin that's in his members that's bringing him into captivity. And verse 24, the conclusion is just, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, when you read a passage like that, it, it, especially if you end right there, um, it, it can be kind of a disheartening thing. I mean, if here Paul himself says he couldn't perform the good that he wanted to do, and he wound up doing the things that he hated. 
If the Apostle Paul, who, uh, you know, traveled all over the known world and established churches, and I don't think you could probably pick another, another man who God used more to establish the body of Christ than the Apostle Paul. And yet, that was his day-to-day experience. He's saying, what I would, that do I not. What I hate, that do I. And the thing he's trying to teach here is not, he's not teaching for a way, a way for you to, to buy willpower, find a way to do those things that you would. In fact, the, the, the solution to what he's presenting here is different from that altogether. See, you see what he says about a law? He says, I find then a law in um, verse 21. I find then a law. Now here he's using the word law not to refer to God's law, but he's using the word law like we might refer to the law of gravity. It's a, it's a principle, and really it's a, an inviolable principle. All right? He says, I find then a law. I find it to be true. I find it to be a true principle that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He's saying, when I would do good, that's where I get into trouble, when I would do good. And the problem isn't, again, that, that, that uh, you know, he's just not strong enough to perform his will or whatever. The problem is the matter of the will in the first place. And when in, throughout this passage, when he's talking about his will to do good, that will to do good that he has is no different than, than the will that a lost person might have to do good. He's just not able to perform it. And what he's doing is trying to approach the service of God like a lost person would, trying to serve God by his will, to, to will himself to do the things that would be pleasing to God. Uh, go Again, put a mark here because we'll come back. Go over to the book of Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward. To beguile would be like to trick you out of something. All right? Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things, notice, have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now, what the Apostle Paul's addressing here in the book of Colossians um, has to do with a, a heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism makes this distinction between the, the physical and the spiritual, and many, you know, many Gnostics would have said that everything spiritual is good, everything physical is bad, and so the way to achieve spirituality is by reigning in your flesh, that through willpower, calls it here will worship, um, you can overcome that flesh and transcend into spirituality. And so this voluntary humility here that it, it talks about, 
uh, voluntary humility. It's not talking about true humility. It's talking about where somebody's going to try and present themselves as being humble when they're not really humble. It's a voluntary humility. Uh, he lists a lot of different things that, that people try to do through religion to reform their flesh. Uh, he mentions worshiping of angels there. And he says when you turn to those things, that you are not holding the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the body of Christ. And, and he says when you turn to those things and you're going to try and be complete in those things through will worship, through voluntary humility, through uh, neglecting of the body, what you're doing is you're, you're actually neglecting who your head is in Christ. Because see, many Christians were, were turning to these things of Gnosticism. Uh, you know, much of, of modern day monasticism where, you know, people... People in various religions will separate themselves off in some monastery somewhere, and they think through that they can uh, achieve spirituality or through uh, taking a vow of silence or, or these different things, uh, that they'll become more spiritual. That's the kind of thing Paul's criticizing here. And he says, when you're turning to that, you're not holding the head. You're not, you're not uh, having that proper relationship with the head, recognizing the, the reliance that you have on him because you're putting the emphasis on yourself and what you're going to do, you see? And he says, if you're dead with Christ from those rudiments of the world, why are you, why are you living like that, subject to these ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not? You see, he says that those things, he says they have a show of wisdom. Now, he's not saying they're wise. He's saying they have a show of wisdom. People look at it and they think, oh, look how spiritual. Look how spiritual that man is, that he can neglect his body in that way, that he can fast for this period of time, that he can you know, do, do these various things. Look how spiritual he must be to be able to, to uh, neglect his body in that way. It has a show of wisdom. It's not true wisdom. It's just an outward show of wisdom. He says, in will, worship, humility, neglecting of the body. Um, and again, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And most of what people are trying to do today, Christians included, through you know various self-help methodologies, through 12-step programs, through all kinds of things, is it's an exercise in will worship that if I can just build up the will, I can do these things that are going to be pleasing to God or pleasing to other people around me or pleasing to myself, and if I can just build up the willpower to do it. And that assumes that your will, again, is, is worthy of being able to do those things. That's what worship is, is it's ascribing worth to something, right? And so they, they worship the will as if the will, if I can just fix my will, that'll be the solution to all my problems, but again, you see, Paul's problem was not the will. The problem was being able to perform those things. And your, your natural flesh, your, that old man cannot perform anything pleasing to God any, any more uh, easily now as a believer than it could before you were saved. The old man, the scripture doesn't say to, to reform that old man. The scripture says to reckon him dead, right? Reckon that old man dead. And so, if we go back to our text, when Paul says here that, that uh, when he wills to do good, that evil is present with him, it's because even that will to do good is, in essence, going back to living under the law. 
It's not just a reliance on God's grace. It's the idea, I'm going to do something good. Um, By the way, okay, you still got a mark there in in Romans 7. Go back to Isaiah. Let me show you something here that maybe, maybe you haven't noticed before. Why don't you go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 is one of the key passages that describes the the rebellion of Satan himself. And I want you to notice something in this passage. Isaiah 14 verse 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And that name Lucifer uh, means light bringer, light bearer. Um, Satan and Satan even today in his fallen state Uh, It says he can be transformed as an angel of light. Okay? Uh, It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Notice, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, there's somebody involved in will worship. And he says, these are the things I will. There's five I wills there that, uh, that Satan, Lucifer, says. And oftentimes uh, people will say that, that you know, Satan's fall was that he thought he could be God. Notice it doesn't say that in the passage. He says, I will be like the Most High in verse 14. I will be like the Most High. It, it, you know, certainly, certainly there's that idea that he's going to come to the, the level of God. But you see what he's saying? He's saying he, by the exercise of his will, is going to make himself like God is. Now, isn't that the same thing that even a sincere Christian is involved in when they think that through their will they're going to they're going to live a godly life? Isn't that the, isn't that I mean basically the root of of satanic doctrine that I will make myself like God? You see, so when Paul says that that he finds a law that when he would do good, evil is present with him. You can see why that is. Because to, to think that you could do good on your own as a, as a function of your will assumes you have that ability in and of yourself. And if you have that ability in and of yourself and, and you believe that, you see how that leads to, to evil? Okay? It's a, it's a denial of what that old nature really is. And it's, a, it's the idea that somehow that old nature can be reformed. So, so what's the solution then? You know, if, if we're not even really supposed to will to do good, what, what's the solution? Um, you know, how can you, how can you bring forth fruit in your life if you aren't willing to do good? That, that new man that's created in you, that new man, that new nature that you have the moment you receive the gospel, that new nature doesn't have to will to do good. That's just what that new nature does. Okay, we talk about something's nature. Um, this pulpit has a nature, right? It's made of wood. It's got a, you know, it's got its different attributes. This pulpit does not have to will to be a pulpit. If it stopped willing to be a pulpit, it wouldn't turn into something else. It it is what it is, right? It doesn't have to will to be that. Your old nature doesn't have to 
to will to be in rejection, you know, rebellion against God. That's just what it does by nature. And even its best efforts are rebellion against God. Likewise, the new nature doesn't have to will to do good. The, do, the new nature doesn't have to work up a lot of effort to, to do what's right. That's just what the new nature does. The new nature doesn't have to will to do good any more than this pulpit has to will to be a pulpit. It just is what its nature is. See, the, the thing is, in the believer, those two natures are in conflict. You have an old nature who's, who naturally is in rebellion against God, and you have a new nature that naturally is in complete submission and obedience to God. And that yielding that we talked about last time, really the idea there when he says, he says don't yield, go back to Romans 6, where we were last time. When he says, not to yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, in, in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 13, what he's saying is, you've got that old nature that's pulling you on the one side, and you've got the new nature that's pulling you on the other side. You have to yield to one or the other. Yield to what the new nature does naturally, but if you're over here trying to will to do good, it, it's, it's, a, futile, it's a futile concept. It's... It's an impossible thing. And so, if we come back to our text then in Romans 7, verse 24 is where Paul kind of hits the, the climax, climax of that passage when he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see what he gets to as he, as he looks at his own inability to will himself to do good and his own inability to perform those things that he would want to do, He's, he just concludes, I'm, I'm just a wretched man. Now this is the conclusion, of, again, of his, that old man, that old nature. And what he recognizes is his, his complete inability. He says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He doesn't say... Again, if I just give it a, a, a better shot next time, if I just will harder next time, uh, it's going to work eventually. He says, I'm just a wretched man, and I need somebody to deliver me from the body of this death. And when you go from verse 24 to verse 25, um, some, some people argue that verse 25 really be belongs at the beginning of chapter 8 because it, because it uh, seems to be such a such a change of topic from verse 24 to verse 25, I think it's right where it needs to be. Because it's almost like you flip a switch when you go from, that, from verse 24 to verse 25, where Paul takes the focus off of that old man, he puts the focus back on Christ, and, and rather than being in the depths of despair and wretchedness, he says, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, how can he thank God that his flesh serves the law of sin? He can thank God because when he recognized there that he needed deliverance from the body of this death, God's provided that deliverance, you see? And it's just like he flips a switch from the focus on the flesh and what I would do and what I'm not able to do and, and what, what I hate, and yet those are the things I do, and that focus on the flesh, and he flips it over to Christ, and he can just thank God through Jesus Christ. You see, complete change of focus. Um, in, in talking to somebody last week with some questions after the message, I gave an example of, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the night before his crucifixion. Do you remember? He was there in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed to God the Father. And he prayed if there was, if there was any other way, if, if this cup could pass from him, you know, that, that he would want that to happen. But he says, not my will, but thine be done. That's a fascinating passage theologically because what it tells you is Jesus Christ had a human will that was separate from the will of God the Father. Jesus Christ was God in human flesh, but he had a human will that was separate from the will of God the Father. And Jesus Christ's human will was not to go to the cross of Calvary. But you notice what he didn't do? He didn't, he didn't try and work himself up to, to have the will to go to the cross. What he did was he just forsook his own will. And he said, I'm just going to submit to what God's will is. You see? That's what Christ, that, that's a great example for us. Now, Christ didn't have the sin nature that, that we're born into this world with, but he did have a human nature, you see. And he did have a separate will, and yet he subjected his will to that of the Father. He didn't, he didn't try to change his will and will himself to do good. He acknowledged his will was insufficient. His, even, even Christ himself acknowledged his human will was insufficient and he just submitted, he yielded to the will of God the Father. Now, those are some deep things and those are some hard things often to, to wrap your mind around. Um, you know, Paul, these things Paul's able to write out of his experience because time and time again, he had put that focus, just as he describes here, back on that flesh and he had failed. And all of us do the same thing, right? We... we we think, I'm going to do some good thing for God, and we fail. And sometimes the worst thing that can happen is we achieve some level of success. You know, this is a moment-by-moment moment struggle that takes place. And you can, be, you can be living as who you are in Christ, in that new man, one moment, and all of a sudden your flesh says, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Right? And just like that, you're, you're set up for failure. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult thing even to, even to just really comprehend greatly. These are, these are passages that you have to sit down with, uh, by yourself and, and read them and pour over every word and really think about what they're saying, even to get a glimpse of what they're talking about. But, uh, again, what you see is how these passages describe the life under grace it's, it's not some legalistic system of, of here's the list of things you have to do and here's the list of things you can't do. And if you get to this level of performance, then you're going to have some favor from God and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's purely God's grace. And by God's grace, he's created a new nature in you that's able to serve him. And the thing is to live in that new nature and not in the old nature. Not about trying to change your will or, or, or you know, summon up the power to perform these things. You live in that new nature, and the new nature is going to do what the new nature does by, you know, by its nature. It's going to serve God. It's going to glorify Him. It's going to reflect who He is. And um, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a sad thing. You see the, all these passages where Paul talks about not going back under the law, not going under those ordinances. Now, he's not teaching license. He's not teaching go out and sin all you want. What he's teaching is the new nature won't sin and the new nature doesn't need the law. And, you know, the new nature doesn't need those things because the new nature is going to reflect who Christ is. 
And uh, it's sad to see many Christians treating that Christian life as if it's as if it's just you know this list of do's and don'ts. And um, really, it's what what these passages describe is how God's grace works in the believer, and God's workmanship brings forth that fruit. And let's close there with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for these things from your Word. We pray that you would. Give us understanding. Help us to understand these things and, and to reckon them in our experience. We know how often we try to do things to serve you and how often we fail. And uh, we just thank you for who you've created us to be in Christ. We thank you for that new nature. We thank you for the, the absolute security that we have uh, in your son because of that grace. And um, we just just pray that these passages would take root in our heart, that as we face our lives, we would uh, live not in our own efforts, not in our flesh, not in our own strength, but live by your grace. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.